Before we start the episode, we want to let you know that we're going to be talking about sexual assault, rape, and attempted suicide. Please take care while listening. Hello. Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationships. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? It's almost impossible to find a person that's tried to deal with the aftermath of sexual violence that they didn't find that dealing with aftermath, reaching out for help is dangerous. Welcome to the Curious Fox podcast for those challenging the status quo in love, sex and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And today we're talking with Daniela Steinfeld, a Serbian born award winning actress and filmmaker who's a director and producer of the documentary film Hold Me Right. The film explores the traumatic aftermath and healing process for victims and perpetrators of sexual violence. Interweaving Daniela's personal story with multiple interviews from sexual assault survivors, perpetrators, and activists, Hold Me Right creates space for difficult conversations about power, rape culture, and the stigma that comes with sexual abuse. Daniela happens to be a good friend of mine. I've known her for the best part of a decade. I vaguely knew her story. I knew that she was a famous actor in her home country I knew she was assaulted, which caused her to leave Serbia and seek refuge in the US. And I knew she was working on a film about this. But I didn't get to see the final cut until recently. And frankly, it blew me away. I've known that this documentary was a part of her healing journey. And her determination in making it, despite all odds, has been inspiring. This film is powerful. And at the end of this episode, we'll give you a code that you can use to stream it. While Daniela's experience happened in Serbia, it made me curious about the statistics around sexual assault in the US. And they're staggering, to say the least. According to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, one in five women in the US experienced completed or attempted rape during their lifetime. One in three of these experienced it for the first time between the ages of 11 and 17. Nationwide, 81% of women and 43% of men reported experiencing some form of sexual harassment or assault in their lifetime. About half of the female victims of rape reported being raped by an intimate partner and over 40% by an acquaintance. I'm a part of these statistics. After watching the documentary and having a conversation with Daniela, I felt compelled to confront some experiences that happened to me when I was younger. In particular, there were two situations of sexual assault that I experienced around the age of 16, one of which was reoccurring and neither of which I've talked about. I'm not ready to talk about it right now on the show for the first time, but I've acknowledged that I should be talking about it with my therapist or my wife or partner at some point, or honestly, even just saying it out loud to myself when I'm alone. Over the last 25 years, as soon as the thought or memory popped into my head, I pushed it back down as the emotional weight of it has felt too hard to carry. But I know that just because I'm not addressing it, and frankly, because I'm not addressing it, I am carrying the weight of it. I have never explored how these sexual assaults have impacted my view on my body, my power, my sexuality, my shame, my desire, or anything else. And it's not something that I've been willing to deal with. 
And our conversation with Daniela has allowed a little bit of light to enter into that dark space. And hopefully in time, I will be able and willing to talk about it with the people around me. Daniela talks about how sexual assault starts way before the incident itself. There are often systemic and circumstantial power dynamics in place that result in the incident. The stories of assault start months, sometimes years before the assault itself. So we wanted to start with Daniela's story. I was born in a village in a war-torn Serbia, and I couldn't ever imagine that I would have opportunities in life. We were raised to know that it's not going to go well, basically, because uh, Serbia was under the war. We were under uh, sanctions and embargo. We couldn't leave the country. And being raised in a double minority family in a, in a far out village in the middle of like kind of a nationalistic war. It was a very, very strange thing growing up, but it was, I had a beautiful childhood. I am mentioning this because it was a, a humongous turn of events to be accepted to the acting conservatory in uh, Belgrade. Hundreds and hundreds of people apply and only 10 people are getting in. So definitely some person that comes from a village that no, nobody has ever heard of in Serbia. Nobody, including myself, including my parents, including any candidate that I met there throughout like this ridiculous process of, of narrowing us down, thought that I could ever get in just because of my heritage and my accent. It was just unheard of. So we were all surprised. It was. It took me three days to, after I was accepted, to realize what has happened. So when I got accepted, when people were just like screaming and, and, and cheering and my parents celebrating like this ridiculous, ridiculous fact, I did not feel anything. It took me like three days to actually understand that like, oh, because the whole system of, of the 18 year old Daniela was set up, like there's not going to be opportunity. So it's, it took really long time to understand it. Like, oh, I got an opportunity. So one happened and it was miraculous. And I had a beautiful career as an actress in Serbia. I worked in um, television, made movies, and I mostly worked in theater. And I was very young when I was tenured. I was one of the youngest people that was ever tenured in national theater in Serbia, which was a humongous honor. And uh, I was the very first person that ever quit <laughs> from that position because you don't have to quit, of course, if you're tenured. It's very hard to quit from, you know, kind of an intangible position such as a actor in a, in a national theater. And I quit uh, because I happened to, at the height of my career, I happened to be uh, held captive and raped by a powerful politician who happened to be my colleague. So he was actor and politician. He is actor, not a politician anymore. Uh, but think about like Trump or Reagan or some kind of a fame person that's kind of works in both places. And so we were, we were acting in um, both in leading roles opposite each other in a kind of a show that has been going, going for a while. And I got so uh, accustomed to my country's culture, which is, which is extreme, like misogyny and, and sexism is just kind of a daily, daily tapestry. And I, I couldn't even differentiate. And I did not know that I'm kind of, I really did not know that I'm equal to a man. 
I thought that like like woman is something else. It's kind of a function. And even though I w- kind of explored and and uh, and expressed and, in, and engaged myself into contemporary theater pieces that are extremely progressive, and my characters were extremely progressive, I back then I did not know what I did not know, which is that my understanding is that the only setting to a woman is to be second to. So, um, as I said, the hard thing was to differentiate that my friend, I thought that, that the, the perpetrator at the time was my friend and colleague and we worked really well and that, that his consistent kind of uh, sexual, sexual propositions and inappropriate comments and um, grooming, basically, there's so many gaslighting. He was just kept on telling me for months you were like, you need to sexually, you need to be sexually liberated. I can help you. You're stiff on stage. And meanwhile, um, I was actually, that show was known for kind of me being um, recognized by the critics as like extremely far out, sexually liberated person. There was a, one particular scene that was not like explicit, but but definitely had so so much raw intimacy and expression in sex scene that we had like middle-aged ladies in that moment because it was kind of so, as I said, everybody, apparently, you know, production was happy what I, what I was doing and critics praised and middle-aged ladies were leaving the theater on my panting, um, which was a show that I did a good job. But the perpetrator's kind of gaslighting, kind of a grooming narrative was that he needs to help me with it and uh, I, I, I didn't buy it and anyways maybe I'm going too too far into into the details but I think that it's important for, for all of us to always understand that sexual violence starts before sexual violence mm-hmm. sexual violence starts long ago it, they, these are not like isolated mm-hmm. incidents and yeah so eventually uh, long story short i this is the first time i found myself alone with him in a car um he took me somewhere where i didn't know where i was on my crying and yelling and threatening and and also just kind of uh, couldn't recognize that this is my friend and also but the bottom line when i was going there it was Kind of for me, I have, still don't know how long that drive was. Whether it was twenty minutes or forty minutes, it was hard to to understand the time because my brain was losing it. I just couldn't understand that this person or anybody actually with such myself in a such lulled public voice. Like I came from from zero protection, zero safety, zero dignity into like zero point zero one percent of. Uh, population of Serbia that can have some sense of protection in that that crazy country because I was a, a known actor. I was able to kind of always get the seat on the table or get anybody on the phone that I possibly wanted. So the, and you know, kind of when your face sits on billboards for years, then you somehow just think that like nothing like truly bad can happen to you. Mm. I mean, you just. That's, that's what you think. Mm-hmm. I sitting in that car, I realized that like it's going to be an uncomfortable night. But I could never, could never imagine if you like just if you can like freeze me and stop me in that in that moment and ask me like what's going to happen. I was like it's going to be really uncomfortable. He's just going to be very very persistent and has going to have advances and maybe attempt to you know grope me or whatever. But it will never be rape. Like it will, it's like this cannot happen just straight up for all these reasons. 
So that was that was a very strange, to say the least, uh, t- turn of events. And um, yeah, I did not know where I was, did not know how to get out. And it was, I, I was tortured for, for a long time, uh, uh, physically, sexually, psychologically, emotionally. And then, um, you know, there's m- many holes that I don't remember. So some, sometimes these moments are coming into, in form of flashbacks. And I remember the kind of a, how we got back into the car. I don't remember. I just don't remember the, like, the, li- the light when, when the doors open. And he, for the first time, had a, like that night had a smile on his face. And his wife was calling him. There was a cell phone and it was always like buzzing. And he was driving home and he hold, started to hold my hand and he said to sing him songs. So I did. And he was just like smiling and kind of warm smile suddenly. Yeah. And he dropped me near my house. It was like four or 5 a.m. And I was, I remember, um, I shared that moment, I, I believe in, in my documentary, sharing my story. The moment when I like stepped on, uh, on the ground from coming from his car was like, I, I, ne- I will never forget that moment. It was just, just everything was there. I was just so happy to be alive. That was, it was so good to just like hold my feet on the ground. It's like a little bit to walk. And that was, that was just such a success in that moment. I can't even begin to imagine how this must feel. Do you remember what happened next? So I was able finally to look at my phone. This is like 4 or 5 a.m., something like that. And I uh, had a friend in New York. Somebody was uh, like on and off dating, but a friend. And it was like 10 p.m. for them. And so my G-chat automatically as I turned on my phone or like kind of opened it, got green and then my friend asked me like what are you doing up because this was somebody that I have been dating I think that that was kind of an instinct was like kind of like I need that security so I was trying to tell him on a chat what has happened but I was of course extremely confused I felt very guilty and I felt very scared I was so answered like I def- I knew that I I needed help so th- the st- stage of shock was completely overwhelming my body my brain was not functioning i know that very well it was very very there's like matter of like one part of the brain is very matter of fact such as like okay hospital rape kids and kind of like and run run from the country that there was that was immediately kind of that execution and then there was all sorts of systems that are because of the violence and, and, and trauma, the brain shuts down. So my systems were still kind of coming up, basically, get kind of kind of uh, turning on. So there's many, many parts of us that we, which is very hard also, very harsh for us in the context of like a legal system of proving something, what we remember, what we don't remember, why we reacted the way we did. It's very hard to explain. And of course, science have proven it over and over again about like what brain does in traumatic moment and especially if this is there's so much confusion for the system because everything that was safe suddenly is not so every signal of like this is my friend this is my community this is my country this is this is where i belong 
this is where I'm celebrated, I loved, needed, wanted, respected. All of the relationship, every relationship that means a kind of um, like a colleague or a friend, all of that is just placed upside down. So that's so it's very hard to kind of reason in those moments. But I did have, as I said, I had a chat, like a sense of like, okay, I need to collect evidence, and I need to do a rape kit, and I need to run from the country. But however, I'm the most, the biggest wound was some like my being was just dead basically, and like dehumanized and ruined. So I needed some kind of a, a sense of embrace. But I was afraid that like a raped being damaged. This is what I understood. That like this this date in New York that I really need to tell him what has happened. That he will reject me the moment that he hears. So it was a very difficult. I needed help but I'm so afraid of suffering more consequences uh, for uh, being raped. Then after I kind of got myself, mm-hmm. so yeah, so that chat still, we, we still have that chat, it's really, he understood that it's rape, I, I, I couldn't say it, but it was, it's very painful also to watch me how many times I apologized and was just so horrifically scared. And I understood that I want to do a rape kit, and I understood that, like, Googled a bit, realized that I, if, I, if I do go to the hospital, every single nurse will be, like, will just route that, that the, this known actress came to our hospital for rape kit. And then, I, like, if I was thinking of private clinic and bribing, which is very way of operating in Serbia. And, like, should I try that? And then I realized that, like, if, if anybody is asking for rape kit, which is probably in the like 10 years ago in Serbia, it's like two, maybe a year because nobody was reporting rape. Nobody was talking about it. Mm-hmm. I knew that like by the law, whoever it is, they will call the police. Actually, not because Serbians are so care to follow their law. It's just because it's still even day to day after I've spoken up and many brave women spoken up. The ingrained thing is if somebody tells you that they've been sexually violated, assaulted or raped, you should question their credibility that's kind of so so deeply and great so that's the first thing that like wait a second so luckily actually for me Mm. i did not call for for help and did not go anywhere I, i i don't think that i would be with you guys today what would happen is that this will go to the media he was a really powerful politician at the time and this will be all decimated and i would i was in such state of shock so so shredded like I just did not have any anything that would can say like a like a Daniela. It was just all like shredded into pieces. I needed to pick myself up together. Back to whole self. It took many many years. But by the time like I was just so 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 I was so broken that I would just not survive the the direct um, out, kind of outlash. How old are you, Daniela? So t- twenty seven. Twenty seven. Uh huh. So, I mean, y- young, right? This is the other, like, young with, you know, with not that much experience. I, I feel that, like, you know, I knew better. i have been through, as a 27-year-old, I definitely, you know, I've lived in Belgrade for many years. I've been th- through, you know, Belgrade is, is also rough, rough space for young women and young artists. And so I thought that I definitely knew better, that I could definitely judge a situation and character. 
So that was also, that, that's why, that's why my, my inner, like mm. innate sense of judgment was broken because it wasn't that that happened to me when I did not have any reflection to the world and, and kind of basically just perception was, you know, when you're young, you just don't, you don't have anything to compare anything to, but I definitely knew better. So that was a very, very, very strange. I find when I hear these stories, just the layers of damage that goes beyond that one experience of being sexually assaulted. It's like, it not only just like breaks you in that moment, but it breaks your, the connection with yourself, it connects with others, your sense of safety, your sense of self. It's such a damaging, such a damaging crime. It's such a damaging attack that I don't think, even when people say, oh, someone was raped, I don't think we understand the depth of of the damage that how how deep it goes and how how deep and how wide it goes right because it's not just the person that that is affected it it definitely like breaks them shreds them down to their core but then it has a blast radius of all the people around you that are also affected um how was your experience in terms of like the depth and the blast radius well i didn't want that to be my a reality so i thought if i if I would flee to, to the States and show up not knowing, you know, I knew two people in New York basically at the time, nobody will know this. Nobody, why, why would I have to have, I don't have to know this. I can just this can go all behind and that's it. Mm-hmm. It's gone. It's solved. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's the solution. So mm-hmm. that's what, that was my plan. And I was very euphoric about mm-hmm. it. I was just like from the worst, worst kind of experience that felt that completely broke me. I can just revive and forget about it. Why? Uh, and of course this was, that solution is amazing. <laughs> so okay, let's do that as soon as possible. So I was begging theater to let me go, made some false excuses. And I found myself in New York Again, euphoric, not sleeping, uh, drinking a lot. I, I'm not a drinker. Um, never felt drunk with that drinking, but I definitely consistently was euphoric, drinking, not sleeping, zero appetite. And then somewhere I just went one day towards the subway and some noise, maybe it was a black car that like reminded me of a black, black all black cars were reminding me of his for a really long time. And I just lost breathing, like completely lost breathing, had no idea why. And people were trying to help me at the street and I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine. It was so strange. You know, I kept on thinking like maybe I, you know, swallowed something. In it. So I keep, you know, just not connecting <laughs> at all. I, I see that, you know, I, I definitely remember myself re- mm-hmm. understanding that like I am a different type of person right now. Like I don't, cannot recognize myself from that day on, like everything that it was just, you know, my reactions were odd, unrecognizable to myself, like just in general, the way I acted, the way I handled myself, my thought process. So after a couple of panic attacks that I did not know that are panic attacks and I called a hotline and I shared to some anonymous person, it was a male, male voice deep male voice and I was sharing it maybe somehow like matter of fact as I'm sharing it with you but they broke down and started crying 
that's the first time that like with with that witness i was just i started to like feel oh my goodness and this this is horrible and i had no idea how to how to get out and how to live so it was that that cry for help was two things i i, I did actually get help and and free counseling but that that uh, the fact that this male person which was somehow important to me at the time kind of they they cried instead of me that's something um give me a permission to kind of embrace myself and and kind of say that like this is this is not okay it took me a year of counseling to start to like wait a second well maybe maybe also the rapist did something wrong so that's so the matter of how much i was blaming myself because i knew better because i saw like i should have seen the signs mm-hmm. i should have should have fought it even though the guy has like a black belt but it says i mean this is yes also just for the listeners the the fight like fighting back in the types of sexual violence is this is not a matter of strength or who is bigger sexual violence is not about sex has nothing to do about sex or about our sex organs it's all mm-hmm. abuse of power so sexual violence as i said mm-hmm. happens before the sexual violent act that st- starts before and uh, and it has to do with abuse of power and in order to to abuse power onto somebody you have to kind of overpower them power dynamically so that happens so long before and so there's nothing to do much with strength meaning that mm-hmm. like i i can i can clearly see being uh, assaulted mm-hmm. by you know like a person that is just double the double smaller than i am if that makes sense i imagine that the power dynamics didn't just impact you in that moment it also impacted you in the aftermath did you feel like you were in danger even after the sexual assault was over actually that's kind of is a beautiful prelude to our film hold me right that's the very your question is the very question that uh pointed me out to make a film because it's impossible to navigate that space so it's almost impossible to find a person that try to deal with the aftermath of sexual violence that they didn't find that dealing with aftermath reaching out for help is dangerous it's very hard i i don't remember i interviewed 400 well interviewed or or screened 400 and interviewed 40 victims of uh rape and none of them told me that it wasn't dangerous to seek for help that you mean like it, it felt dangerous to actually say like to say out loud what happened and ask for for help not that it felt dangerous it was it, it it still is dangerous so what i'm trying to say that like you are seeking help you might feel guilty ashamed broken and uh when you seek for help you are being asked for your responsibility kind of your accountability for why somebody assaulted you questions that imply shame questions that imply judgment onto your actions disbelief and that all kind of you that's kind of feels that you've been raped over again because again there's some kind of a some kind of confirmation that like well you should have you, you somebody should have abused your power if that makes sense 
like I don't know how uh, how to put in a better clear words, but it's it's an impossible maze to go through. So how to navigate a space where for you to when you're reaching out for helps for you to feel that you will be seen, heard, not judged. It's 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 impossible. People the questions such as like wait a second did you really rape you did <laughs> did you fight why didn't you tell anybody then or did you tell anybody but why didn't you you know all of this implies that you kind of contributed to somebody deciding and acting abusively and violently towards you and your body and your humanity your choice your will your power it's like there is what happened and there's the echoes of it as you try to tell your story and get your help and then the backlash of that is kind of making you real you relive that that trauma yeah in in other words we have unfortunately because we live in in a culture of of stigma and silence and and, and disbelief and shame about these issues one thing is to get over trauma the other thing is to get over kind of judgment and yeah and but the lack of support is that would be that that would yeah. be easy like if somebody just like if there is a if there is just silence from <clears throat> from another side that will be easy but when there is judgment mm-hmm. like like you you, you should have you should yes that sure. so that 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 traumatizes that's called secondary yeah. victimization and uh, it's very unfortunate that it's it's almost impossible to find somebody that haven't been gone through it and that's the answer to the question why we are silent because it's mm. dangerous to seek for help you have to deal with two mm. two sets of traumas one is one is surviving violence the other one is uh, surviving asking for help yeah what comes up for me is what happens to you the violence and then it's the abandonment which is which is traumatizing and i and, and i don't mean in abandonment also like not seeing you in judgment in so that the sort of bigger sense of abandonment like something really bad happens to you and then you're abandoned for it and because of it and i think that is tragic on i mean that is traumatic on its own we know that abandonment is a core trauma for for the human psyche so you have an actual violence of violence that's happened to you and that is traumatizing and there's an opportunity actually we know how trauma works if in that moment you were supported and loved and seen and heard that trauma would sit differently in your body but i think what happens is from what i'm hearing from you is as a, as a secondary to the trauma you are then abandoned and and kind of tossed out and judged and unseen unheard accused and all those things and that to me like you know, big ball of just abandoned out there, which means that you're now left with your trauma. And that means that the trauma is like stuck in your body, into your bones, into the fiber of your being. And then you have to deal with that as well. Right. So it's confirmation from the society. This should have happened to you, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that was your situation. That was your situation. And then you did something very, very brave. You said, at least this is what I understand from your story. You said, I'm not doing this. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to give everybody a voice. And this is something that we need to talk about. I want to, can you speak a little bit to how you went from your experience, how you went from your own healing journey, your own trying to process what's happened to you into deciding that you want to make a film about it? I was in the kind of, um, rock bottom 
in my life, I had symptoms of PTSD that were uh, on a daily basis. And so that's being, um, as I mentioned, uh, insomnia, uh, panic attacks, inability to meet new people, inability to go to auditions. If I went to audition and saw anybody that would be even close to um, an appearance of, of the perpetrator or having any kind of like a macho masculine uh, appear, I would froze. So I couldn't work. I couldn't socialize. I couldn't be in a car without having a panic attack or on highway. I couldn't fly on planes. And I just was so dysfunctional and in silence. I didn't want to burden my, my family uh, with what has happened. They would be crushed. And how bad I, kind of like how poorly I was uh, dealing with uh, with existing. So I, I planned uh, suicide for a long time, and I attempted suicide, and uh, I was miraculously saved uh, because I hid my suicide note really badly, apparently, and my friend found it. And before I was able to do it, they called police. Um, I called the police back telling them it's a false alarm, thinking that they will not show up. This is L.A., California. I was, like, hiding from my New York friends in order to, to attempt suicide. And um, I was arrested and somehow got myself out of it. I was thinking that, like, okay, well, next time I'm going to do it right. But meanwhile, I did that this long, long silence uh, was alarming to my friends in New York, and they reached out and something cracked i didn't want to tell them exactly what's going on but something cracked in my in my sharing and they realized that i'm just definitely not okay and didn't do any everything that they could to get me to new york which was actually took me like month of some counseling free counseling all of, all of this time actually i just want to mention that from new york and la i was getting free counseling which was life saving uh, I know that now, um, but it, it, I fought hard to get that free counseling, but without it, I, I, I would not be here today. So the counseling for, for after suicide was just to try, like, how can I get on a plane and not have panic attack to like completely crash me? So to get myself to New York, and I did, <laughs> it was funny, it was like a red eye <laughs> from L.A., which is, you know, everybody is sleeping and me, Daniela is for six hours, just like wide open eyes, like so excited that I made it, like that I managed to like breathe. So for six hours, I was just like excited that I'm breathing through this, <laughs> didn't, didn't close my eyes for a second. And that like, I'm going towards my saving, to, towards being, you know, being held and saved and in my friend's arms. And that's exactly what happened. And, and um, I shared what has happened to me. And um, my friends shared that they will be here, here for me unconditionally. I can stay in their house no matter how long I need. I can show up no matter how in, in any shape and form. I had like just very, the, the symptoms of PTSD can be just extremely troubling for, for people around uh, around us and it's very difficult and uh and they they imposed a safe and nurturing and loving space and that was my first safety and it was so much that i wanted to live again and then i was thinking like wait a second so all that is needed for healing overcoming and empowering a survivor of trauma is a loving support 
Like that's the cure. And, and that's it. And I was just so, kind of had such a, you know, weeks long aha moment that it was like, I have to do something. Like people need to know about it. The cure is free, cheap and accessible. And it does wonders. It can empower us all. So I was just like, okay, I have to, I have to, I have to share this story and how better to share the story, but with kind of diverse type of voices and experience that, that all share the same experience we have so in um, my documentary about healing after sexual violence i've i've was um grateful to 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 have voices from so many different backgrounds the, the men and women different circumstances different di- different ages the different uh, accounts of violence and, and and circumstances survived with all the same experience of like we need safety dignity to speak up mm. And that's the cure. So when that formula was kind of clear in my head that like, this is, I'm not alone in this. This is something that affects so many people. Then that was such a strong drive that I like couldn't stop. And before, you know, I like knew, knew in this, in this country without experiencing creating films, documentaries, producing writing script. I remember I did not know how to, two words like how to spell manager how to spell receive and it was so funny i just never didn't know it but it was just like i don't know how to spell even english well like google autocorrect is going to help me (laughs) and i'm just going to wing it and it's going to be great so i was i was very very persistent to raise money and to uh, get to, to 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 try to work with professionals and get them on board. It was very, it was that, that was the hardest part to get, get um, filmmaking community to, to work with me was just impossible because I was like, I'm a, I'm a survivor. I'm from Serbia. I never made a film. I want to make a film about healing after trauma. And I'm going to include voices of perpetrators and victims and people just like, okay, I'm not going to work with this crazy woman. This doesn't sound good. And, um, Mm -hmm. but, but uh, we did it and, and I'm so proud of what we made. And I think it's important. And I think that the voices of and accounts of, of uh, aftermath for the perpetrators are very crucial to hear and understand because actually that kind of gives us, an answer why is it so difficult to reckon with aftermath of trauma why is it mm-hmm. like where these people uh, collected safety to do that as one of the perpetrators child abuser is sharing that like he knew that the chances for this child to report what has happened to them is so low so the chances are that he can get away with it and the, the other perpetrators were, were, were sharing that this is their right to do so. If the woman is in their, in their space, in their private space, in their house, like what, what else one should expect? I thought, I mean, your film Hold Me Right is beautiful. Um, just, it's, it's, just, it's just beautiful, beautifully made. And what I love about it is the, sort of the 360 look at this one horrible violent act and you have the victims you have the perpetrators you have family members you have people who have grown into being an advocate and support and allies and you have people who kind of just want to leave it behind and move on with their life and it's just this 360 look at this is what i mean about the blast radius like it it has such a huge 
impact on so many different people. And what I love about your your film is that it gets into all of those nooks and crannies, like the angles that you don't over you don't hear about, like the father who was talking about his daughter being raped and how he's reacting to it and how he was saying, you know, one of the things that really stood out for me, he said, an eye for an eye makes the world go blind. He's like, you don't know what it's like until it happens to you. I'm going to stand by my daughter. I'm going to support her. I'm not going to, I'm not going to continue violence by going after the person who violated her. Like there's just like moments of just insight, like raw, real insight of what happens uh, when this happens when this happens to you and all the people around you and how people just make different decisions and it's all okay. It's, it's just how you're dealing with it is, it is okay. So, so that was, you know, super, super interesting. And the perpetrators, and I, I agree with you, like, you know, some re- repenting, right? Like I knew it was wrong. I did it anyway, but I understand damage that I cause. It's unexcusable. Like there's that. And there was this like, well, I didn't think it was such a big deal. I did it to some women and they were into it and I did to other women they weren't into it and it's like you just do it and and see how it goes down like that attitude there was full out denial like I didn't I you know we were drunk and it didn't happen I didn't rape her the range of of, of that that experience that reporting was also super interesting oh it's it's funny the the uh, account of um the man in a prison that that were young barely adult individuals both both drunk uh, and the lady reported rape. That's that's a, uh, usually uh, a topic for discussion for after after the film because pe- people have divided opinions whether whether this man should have ended up in prison or or not. So it's interest it's interesting to hear your take. Yeah. There's a moment in your film, too, where you show clips of movies and advertisements that highlight the environment and the society and the way of thinking that has not only allowed but encouraged men to show up that way, that there are these these like little bits of things that seen together were shocking to me. I've likely seen them in movies and seen them certainly in ads, but to see them all clustered together painted such a picture of the lack of humanity of both women and children and the dominance that men not only have, but should have. And I thought, again, it, I think it painted the picture to why then those perpetrators had that mindset of, well, what was the problem? <laughs> I mean, she resisted, but you know, I don't, I don't understand what was wrong with yeah. that. And like, it's funny, my my dad is really into Westerns. He, it's one of his like secret delights. He'll just sit and watch, you know, a Western every day. And then so, um, and when I was little, I would watch it with him. And now, you know, I'm older. I sometimes catch him watching a Western and I sit there and watch it. It's incredible how much rape is in Westerns. Like straight out rape. And then, and then what happens is, you know, a man sometimes multiple men like just kind of overpower a woman and it's, 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 it's rape for all intents and purposes. And then suddenly she's in love with him. And, and that is, you know, we see this in, in early James Bond, we see it in adverts. We see it, you know, this is such a thread that's run in our, in our media, in our, in our film or in, you know, in our series. And it's insidious. It's like, it's so ingrained in there. And I agree with Jackie. When I saw that, that montage of like all these different, you know, all these different and big ones like 007, it's like Star Wars, like all these like big classics have those moments when, you know, the, the hero is somehow like 
persisting and overpowering a woman, even if saying no, 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 no. And she eventually gives in. And that's where love comes from. Like there's the one, I think there's a one scene where it's like, and this is real love or something like that. And you're like, what? That's crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, as, as I love to say, um, narratives are realities your narrative is our reality so when when we are wondering like where does this permission sure. to violate come from it comes from from how we are mm. brought up and how we are what what is our belief system and there's a, there there is a culture of of permission yeah. that's how, that's how we yeah. raised our our boys hopefully not anymore mm. So I'm curious, Daniela, having made the movie, spoken to like screened for 400 people and eventually interviewed 40 people quite in depth. How has that experience expanded your understanding of your of your situation, your story and sort of sexual assault in general? Like has what's changed for you? So my um, idea of making the film for my own healing was that I will speak throughout them and I will hide my story because it's not safe for me to speak. And then only in the rough cut, I took courage to share my story, which was very troubling and and scary at the time. And I'm so glad I've done it. And um, after the release of the film, it was premiered in Sarajevo Film Festival. Uh, Serbian media took it to questioning and speculations. I did not want to share the name of the perpetrator in a film or imply who that person is. So that's what, not the theme of the film. And, and frankly, it's, it's not important like for my, my bigger mission to share the, the name of the perpetrator publicly. But the, the pressure arose, the public prosecutor opened an investigative case uh, on a kind of, that's a criminal investigative case. And by the law of Serbia, I'm, I'm uh, obligated by the law to participate as a witness. So I had to, and eventually I had to tell the name. And from the moment I shared the name to the police and the, perpetra- uh, the, the prosecutor, begging them to keep this case uh, and not, not release the media, they the first first next day uh they spoke up publicly like the spokesperson for the public prosecutor just spoke up publicly to say who the first person is and now i'm being um kind of retaliated legally for speaking up um by the perpetrator and by the government they're they're basically try they are aiming to to raise criminal charges for false reporting of rape but I, as i said i never reported i was called as a witness i ask witness of what the prosecutor looks me in the eyes of your rape. <laughs> That's hilarious. And then later on, the kind of the narrative should be that I should be put in prison for that. So I, I moved on from your question, but all this, all this to say, this is I am, I am, I feel so happy and lucky and grateful to myself that I've spoken up. Uh, speaking up is healing. Uh, speaking up is empowering and speaking up. So what happens when people speak up? When you are in silence, you are telling your body. So body keeps the score. It feels trauma. It holds it. And when you're silence, you're telling it, it didn't happen. You are telling it also, this should have happened. You shouldn't have, we don't need to deal with it. Nobody needs to know about it. And kind of you're sharing, like you're supporting the narrative of the perpetrator. Is it like it didn't happen? 
And when you're speaking out, you know, you can share this, your, your story just to, just to your loved one, just to your diary, just to a tree. You know, you don't have, you don't have to go and speak up publicly, but sh- sharing it means that you are communicating with your being that like, this is not okay. And I am fighting it until you're in silence. You're, there's in a way you're telling it it's okay. You're telling to everything that aches you and everything that you, you feel just mm. less than and half of you. And you just definitely, you don't feel whole. You don't feel that you have agency, integrity and voice. And you somehow like standing with violence. I don't know how better to, to, to put it in like a better clear uh, expression, but being silenced is standing with violence. And uh, so I, if anybody's, uh, needs to hear this it's it's the most healing thing is to speak and that will become hard because the na- the narrative of speaking is changing and that's okay first very likely you will feel ashamed and kind of feel blaming yourself and feel uncomfortable and that narrative is like as the longer you speak is just going to if you find right listener and compassion sometimes as i said compassion might be on a piece of blank paper or on a piece of blank canvas or on a piece of, uh, you know, instrument, musical instrument, art is extremely healing for expressing this, but that narrative is going to start shaping. And it's, you know what, it's incredible. I met people that are so strong and involved in human rights and fighting for human rights. And then later on, after seeing, uh, hold me right they started to speak up about something that happened decades ago. And even though they know everything about the process, logistically, psychologically, spiritually, they need to go through this ordeal. Whoa, I, like, I feel so ashamed and I, I didn't do this right and I'm blaming myself. And, and so all of, all of these weights from uh, culture, are there's the, the blueprinted in us and, and no matter how much you cognitively kind of empirically know you still have to go through that that um kind of a steps to 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 empowerment by by speaking up so it takes a while it's not like a one one sharing and and done it takes a lot lot of speaking and and we as a society need to uh have um eyes and 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 ears for it and just kind of listen and and hold people in that space and have patience and he, kind of healing and, and overcoming this will will arise. And then I would love to, for all the mm-hmm. Curious Fox listeners, to share a link to Hold Me Right film that will be available for um, after we release this podcast for uh, seven days. And we can, we can share a special link if, if anybody would want to uh, see Hold Me Right. Absolutely. I would encourage... Even sexual assault is nothing is, is nowhere near you. I would just recommend I would recommend this this film because it's it's beautifully made and it has some point of views that that I haven't seen before in, in any other documentary that's made about made about this. So so um thank you so much for for making it available for our listeners. I have a, I have one more question about the film. There was your experience, which is very real and raw, and you processed it, and you know, and you at some point you realize you're healing. A part of the healing process is sublimating and making this film your art, which is which is you know, it's your art, your expression. 
And having spoken to all these people, I'm curious if there is, if you had any realizations, any revelations that you didn't, you didn't know before about sexual violence or rape, anything that, that you heard from the people that you interviewed and was like, whoa, I never thought about that. And another sort of a, a sub question to that is, what is it that we don't talk about when it comes to, to sexual violence? Like, out in the world, we know what rape is. There's conversations about rape, but what what is what is some of the the deeper stuff that just never makes it? I mean, making of hold me right was selfishly my healing process, my learning process. So to answer your question, mm-hmm. it was tons of things mm-hmm. that I've that I'm sharing today with you that I've learned throughout mm-hmm. the film. I went into making this film with still Mm. blaming myself, feeling guilty and feeling very scared to speak up. So this was a big, big trajectory. Mm. Still, the biggest take was first I stood with this in front of this um, brave uh, survivors that shared their story with such grace, poise, uh, freedom and dignity. And I couldn't understand that, that one can do that. Uh, so that was a big take. Look, how did they get there? And that was my my wish and my question. And mm-hmm. another big take was was which I shared uh, about the perpetrator. That like how would like how would they got signals from our society that this is okay? And just to add, so even for the listeners that think that sexual mm-hmm. violence is not. In, in their arena, it, it is. It's actually the, the statistics are so incredibly painful to, to understand how common sexual violence is. Still, most of us are still in silence. And yeah, this affects way, way too many, you know, men and women and children than we would ought to kind of brace with that fact. And so, yeah, so this, this actually concerns most of us. I mean, I, this was a great kind of correlations to, to that I've heard last week about like COVID and COVID cases and long haul and deaths. I mean, sexual violence and sexual harassment is, has a much, you know, we just normalize it, but the statistics of sexual violence and harassment are threefold than to, than to the worst cases and statistics about COVID speaking of long haul and speaking of suicides and and mm. femicides are still so common so th- this is this is an epidemic mm. unfortunately that we we normalized and we live with and we need to we need to stand up and our generation needs to be the one that says like no enough is enough and by the time that we are old Effie my mm. pledge is that we will not have to have these conversations and and these types of podcasts and that that, that this will be uh, something that mm. is it's it's normal to stand on on a side of a survivor to believe survivor that that that's a default as opposed to today but believing one survivor you are saving at least three or five um around you because it's always a ripple effect of that mm. of that safety yeah i would also just want to mention uh, uh, my uh, current project is video game meant for young men and uh, it mm-hmm. addresses sexual harassment in uh, in a form of a adventurous one player mobile game and uh, in, in a very hidden and kind of a, it's a stealth approach to the subject imagine like a i call it that like way out game is basically mm-hmm. 
a Trojan horse filled with an agent of change. So you like you don't know that you that you're getting the subject. You're playing a, a very fun, adventurous, you know, survival quest game, and that comes deep in, uh, and it's all you know correlated. Kind of like the, the the gameplay and narrative and setting is is all connected. And once you're already hooked and engaged, this topic like very very slowly just kind of enters enters its arena and helps you understand the consequences and uh, helps you understand that what is what is your role as a as an active bystander in a game. So hopefully we will we will teach and and uh, train young men to to compassion and to listening and to understanding that that's kind of uh, sexual misconduct and harassment is, is 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 kind of it's a gateway to sexual violence and it should stop be- before it even happens mm. And I love that you're going, you're going where young men are to meet them where they're at, to teach them, to show them and to teach them to show them that stuff where they already hang out, which is beautiful, rather than just screaming at them from where they're not listening anyway. So I love, I love your game idea. And we'll definitely, you know, include all the, the, the information for it and everything on the show notes as well. So people can click around and support you. I know you're raising funds for it right now. So, you know, it's a call out to anybody, whoever's interested, go and check it out. If you can support in any way. Go ahead and go ahead and do it. There's one last thing I want to ask you. We know each other from the sex positive community in New York City. We've hung out at parties together and explored polyamory at the same time. You've told me before how these communities were an integral part of your healing journey. Can you talk a little bit about that? It was very interesting. So uh, from outside, when you're going to like a kind of a sex positive environments or sex parties or sexy parties or kind of sexy encouraged parties or or, or socialize social spaces you think that there's going to be something kind of pressured over there yet for for my troubled brain at the time first time that i went into kind of a sex positive space and and a sex party that was a kind of a controlled environment that here I have witnesses, witnesses. Mm. So I know that I was told and I can clearly see nothing will happen to me that I don't want to happen to me. And my voice, my no, my silence, my insecurity will be heard, seen, and I will be safe. So this was the first environment that I was safe, and the first environment that I was actually able to to free myself sexually for the first time after the assault, the very first time. So it was extremely healing. So it's very funny from outside. It thinks that like oh this like you know kind of like people that are going through after, in the aftermath of trauma should never go to a sex party, but this was actually extremely healing environment because it's actually kind of controlled and this is the the, instead of being alone with another person Mm -hmm. you here have vouching witnesses so you know nothing Mm -hmm. will happen to you that you don't want beautiful yeah i mean i i completely see how that would work for you and i also think that the 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 way that those spaces are so explicit you also feel like you know what's going to happen as well like it, it is not is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? It's it's verbal. It's explicit. So you also have control over what's happening. You don't have to guess. You don't have to 
assume it's it's just very explicitly in front of you. I can also see how that can also be a piece of safety. Well, it doesn't have to be kind of in front of me or like I, that I know what's going to happen. I can actually go with the flow and just surrender mm-hmm. to the moment mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I, I know that I can flow anything that I want uh, kind of will happen and everything that I, that I don't want, it will be, mm-hmm. it will be respected kind of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so actually it's, it's not the kind of even kind of like a pre pre given recipe, but rather ability to surrender to the moment which sure. is kind of kind of i guess the core of, of sexual experience yeah beautiful yeah beautiful I, I mean i completely understand how that would that would work for you and um, thank you for sharing that this was amazing i mean i've known you for a long time but this is really the first time i've heard your story end to end thank you for sharing it's not i know you're doing it out loud and it's what you're just a part of your journey but i do appreciate you just like taking your time and and, and telling your story here for for the podcast that you've supported for a very long time. So it's been a pleasure to have you, pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jeffy. Thank you for having me. If you'd like to support or find out more about the video game that Daniela is working on, you can visit wayoutgame.com or email her at info at wayoutgame.com. For more from Daniela Steinfeld, you can find her at Twitter at Danny Steinfeld underscore and on Instagram at Daniela Steinfeld. Visit our show notes for a link and a special code to stream the film. And after you watch the documentary, visit the website to get a discussion guide to help you process and discuss the topics that emerge from the film. The guide is available at holdmewrite.com forward slash discussion dash guide. All the links will be in our show notes. If you'd like to share your reactions to this conversation or the documentary, you can start a conversation on our Facebook group at We Are Curious Foxes. You can also visit our website at wearecuriousfoxes.com for episodes, blog posts, and resources on related topics and more under the umbrella of love, sex, and relationships. There are bonus cuts, mini episodes, online workshops, and a whole lot more available to you on Patreon at We Are Curious Foxes. Share this episode with someone who you think needs to hear it. And if this conversation meant something to you, leave a review for the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Audible, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. And if you haven't already, please follow us and leave a rating. This is how the podcast algorithm decides if it's going to recommend our show to others. If you have questions or a story that you'd like to share, you could send us an email or a voice memo at listening.wearecuriousfoxes. This episode is produced by Effie Blue and Jacqueline Missler, with help from Yamur Erkishi. Our editor is Nina Pollock, who helps us tell powerful stories episode after episode. Our intro music is composed by Dev Saha. We are so grateful for their work, and we're grateful to you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind, And we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious.